And so we're going to be continuing our message that we started last week. We're on part two of a message titled Three. And so we, we started this last week. And so last week, we, as we kicked this off, we said that we were this Easter going to focus on three days, three moments, uh, and three decisions that you and I have to make based on what we learn in the Word of God about those three days and those three moments. And so last week, we, we talked about and studied uh, Palm Sunday, which is actually the day. But so we studied that first day of Palm Sunday. We took three moments from the Word of God, and we talked about the things that Jesus did and demonstrated for us, right? Do y'all remember what we said? We said last week that on Palm Sunday that Jesus, he established his identity, his authority, and he proves that he loves us. He proved that he loves us forever. Uh, he established his identity as he walked in, or not walked in, rode in on a, uh, on a colt, on a donkey, right? And all the people celebrated and said, Hosanna, 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 excuse me. It demonstrated that he was the son of God, the king of kings. He fulfilled Zechariah 9.9, a, a prophetic word that was written hundreds of years before Jesus even came. Amen. And then he proved and established his authority as he drove into the, the temple and, 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 and threw the tables over and declared it as the holy of holies. Right? And he began to lay hands on the sick and, and heal the lame. And then ultimately we use the scripture where Jesus, he weeps over his people and over the city, and that proves that he forever loves us, right? Because we only, care, we only cry about the things that we care about. We only cry about the things that we love, and Jesus, he did that for us. Amen? So that's kind of everything that we talked about last week in a quick little Reader's Digest version of a recap, <laughs> amen? And so this morning, we are going to talk about Good Friday the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We're going to take three moments from the Word of God, and based on those three moments that we read today, we're going to have three decisions that you and I as believers have to make. Amen? So y'all get comfy. Uh, get, get, get your Bibles open. I want to turn to that first scripture we're going to give you. We are going to be giving you a lot of scripture this morning. Amen? So get comfy, but don't fall asleep. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm comfy. And I'm ready, and I'm awake, in Jesus' name, amen. And so I want the, you know, the word of God is alive. It can speak to us, amen, and God wants to speak to us this morning through his word. Uh, so we're going to give you a lot of scriptures this morning. So the first moment we're going to look at comes out of Matthew 26, 17 through 54. Yes, I said 17 through 54, okay? It says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the temple with the 12 disciples. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? He replied, One of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. 
It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant. Somebody say covenant. Between God, his people, it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Amen. We just did that this morning. Can you just imagine, I want to stop for just a moment, the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ, sitting, eating, dining with one of his disciples who was going to betray him. <laughs> Some of us couldn't even share the same room as somebody that we're offended with. <laughs> uh, and he ultimately pivots to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus is going to make, excuse me, and even the love that he has for Judas who will betray him. He died for Judas <laughs> just as well. And each and every one of us, if we're honest, have had a Judas moment in our life to betray God. <laughs> so I know we like to beat up people in the scriptures. How could you do that? I just kind of want to just, just let the Holy Spirit kind of uh, do a work in us this morning. You know what? None of us are perfect. Amen. I say that because God died for each and every one of us, amen, because he loves us. Amen. Let's pick up there at verse 36. It says, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and Zebedee, two sons, James and John, and became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. <laughs> he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the Spirit is willing. Somebody say that with me. The Spirit is willing. Amen. But the body is weak. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak, Jesus said. Then Jesus left them a second time and went and prayed. My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men, armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You'll know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi. He exclaimed and gave him a kiss. Jesus said, My friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I was 
I could ask the Father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. But I did. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? So much in that scripture, and we're going to talk about all these things uh, this morning, but just imagine what Jesus is about to go through and his disciple. He tells them what he's going to pray for, the most anguish and distress point of Jesus' life. The last moments they're going to share with Jesus, and they can't stay awake. And Jesus has to submit his will to the Father. We're going to talk about how Jesus submitted his will to the Father this morning. Amen? Let's look at that next moment we're going to look at today. And it comes out of Matthew 27, and we're going to read verses 1 through 35. And so very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman officer. Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, I have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders, excuse me, made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you, Pilate demanded? But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone that they wanted. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? who was called the Messiah. He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. But then the Pilate, or excuse me, but then as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and Jesus to be put to death. So a governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, Crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mom roared even louder, Crucify him. Pilate saw that he, was getting, he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, We will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's, so some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the headquarters and called out, the entire regiment. They stripped him down and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove, wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in a mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and stuck him in the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. 
Along the way, they called or they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross, and they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave him wine mixed with bitter gall, and when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing the dice. So much in that scripture, so much in the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus. Uh, but this is what we're going to talk about. This second moment is how Jesus, he accepts that, that suffering, the cup of suffering that he is ultimately going to take for us. Uh, and hear me this morning, each and every one of us have, has a cup of suffering that we have to drink from. Living for Christ is not without challenges, uh, sacrifices, and things, hard things that God calls us to do by faith. Now, Jesus demonstrated the hardest thing of all, amen, but what does Christian mean? To be Christ-like, amen, and so we are going to experience things like this in our life. You know what? But that's really the, the love that we have for God when we know how much he loves us. That's how it helps lighten the load and the light and the burden that each and every one of us have to carry, that burden of sacrifice and that burden of those things that God calls us to do. Amen? That last, um, the third moment, the last moment we're going to use in Scripture this morning um, comes out of John Chapter 19, verses 25 to 42. Y'all okay still? Y'all awake? Nudge your neighbor, little holy elbows. Okay, it's verse 25. So standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, who was John, right? He said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, his disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it and put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Somebody say finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. It is the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath, right? Because this is actually on Passover. Jesus was crucified on Passover. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths, quicken their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men that, um, that were crucified with Jesus. He was crucified with two criminals, right? But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. Um, this report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also can believe. Verse 36, then things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say, not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on the one that they pierced. More scripture fulfilled through Jesus. Verse 38, after Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He uh, brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment, 
made them with myrrh and aloes, following Jewish burial custom. They wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never before used. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Amen. Everybody with me this morning. It's a lot of scripture, three amazing, awesome moments that we're going to look at and dive into this morning. Okay, let's look at that first point. So Jesus did a lot, like I said, in the last 24 hours of his life. His whole life was, was, was jam-packed with, with amazing things. He, he healed the lame. He, he healed the sick. He healed the blind. He healed the deaf. He raised people from the dead, right? And these last moments that we read this morning aren't without so much not just information, but facts and things that we see a whole nother side of the, the glory of God, the goodness of God, and really how amazing and perfect Jesus really was, right? Jesus paid the ultimate price, right, for you and for me. And so this first point on your outline this morning is on Passover, Jesus submits to the will of the Father. He accepts the cup of suffering and ultimately dies, somebody say dies, for the sins of the world. He accepts his responsibility. You know, being the son of God sounds really cool, right? I'm the son of God. But being the son of God means, man, you got you to gotta do some things. There's a sacrifice that's going to be made, and Jesus did that. He accepted his role in all facets of his life, and he accepted that responsibility. And really, it started in the garden when he began to pray, and that's how he submitted his will, or submitted God's will, sorry, over his will, right? He submitted to the will of the Father, uh, and he accepted that cup of suffering, and he ultimately, he didn't just die, he laid his life down. He chose to do that for his sons and daughters that he loves, for the, the sins of the world, so that we could all be saved according to our faith, right? And not one of uh, these things that Jesus experienced in the last 24 hours of his life, right? He faced rejection. He faced betrayal. He faced abandonment, physical pain, and ultimately physical death, right? All those things that not either you or I could even go through probably one of those without forsaking God or getting mad or getting frustrated. He, he did it in love and he did it he didn't stand up for himself because he knew who he was. You know when you're confident in who God's called you to be, you don't have to stand up or speak up out for yourself. Right? You know who you are in Christ. He knew who he was. right? And none of these things, the things that maybe the enemy was using, the things that the world was, was using to come against him, stopped him from doing what he was called to do. How many little things do we allow to stop us from doing what God has called us to do. Y'all, we can learn from this man. We need to learn from this man that we call Jesus, the Son of God, the, the carpenter from Nazareth, who is the Son of God. We can learn from this man, right? Let's look at that next point. So in the garden, uh, Jesus submitted his will to the Father. Uh, he didn't surrender. And we're going to talk about the difference between surrendering uh, and submission this morning for a little bit. He didn't surrender. Surrender is what you do to your enemies. Uh, and surrender is an act of self-preservation, and submission is an act of love. Right? So according to Matthew 26 that we read this morning, 
Jesus had to pray God's will, right? The Father's will over his. He was in a, tent, a challenging, tough spot. Probably the, if there was any moment in the life of Jesus where he was maybe about to throw in the towel or give up, it was right then, right? He had to pray God's will over his. If you read uh, the gospel according to Luke in, in chapter 22, he said that in the garden, Jesus prayed so hard that his sweat became like drops of blood, that's somebody who's not surrendering to the enemy. That's somebody who's submitting himself to God. Come on, somebody. And see, you know, I'm not saying we're, we don't have to surrender. We have to surrender our lives. But surrender means a couple different things. And so what I want us to get this morning is God doesn't want us to surrender to the enemy. He wants us to submit to him. As we read Isaiah 55 this morning at during worship at the end, his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher, right? And because I don't physically understand or mentally understand or even spiritually comprehend what God is trying to do, I have to trust and know that his ways are better. And I have to submit myself to him. Jesus was fighting and praying for you in the garden. He could have surrendered and said, you know what? This cup is too hard. This is going to be hard. This is going to be painful. But no, he was fighting for you. I can serve a God that fights for me. I can serve a God that fights for me. Amen? Whenever you and I make that same choice that Jesus made in the garden to submit our lives to God, we show that we love God more. Somebody say more than ourselves or anything else in our lives. See, we have a lot of Christians that are surrendering on a daily basis. And I don't mean the good kind of surrender. I mean that surrender that says, this is too hard. I am too offended. I am too jealous. I can't do this. Ministry is too hard. And they surrender, buddy. Yeah, they do. They say, you know what? They, they literally surrender promised land, promised ground, blessings from God to the enemy. And they throw in the towel. And God says, I don't want you to surrender. I want you to submit to my ways. And I can be made stronger through you. When we submit to God, we become stronger. And hear me, whatever you bow down to becomes your God. When you say this is too hard and you let your flesh take over and rise up and you bow down to drugs or you bow down to alcohol or you bow down to, to whatever it is, you make that thing your God. You say that thing's stronger than Jesus Christ. And God says if you just submit... Submit to me in my ways, and what does the Bible say? The enemy will flee. See, Jesus had to submit, and the enemy fleed. The enemy didn't just flee. A new covenant, a new promise, new blessings from God for you and for me this morning. Because Jesus didn't surrender. He submitted. He submitted his life. Amen. That next point. One more thing on surrender. Uh, the difference between surrender and, and submission this morning. So surrender says, I have to do what you say. Submission says, I want to be a part of what you are doing. Surrender relinquishes your authority. Submission releases, somebody say releases, your full authority. On the day of his death, Jesus modeled for you and for me how to live and how to walk this out. 
See, surrender says you have to do what I say. And that's exactly what the enemy wants us to think, right? You're not good enough. You can't do this. You can't accomplish this. How do you think you're going to do that? He wants us to give in. When we surrender, we say, God, I want to be a part of not just what you're doing. I want to be a part of your kingdom, a part of your forever family. I want to be a part of the blessings that you have for my life. I want to be a part of the spiritual growth, the things that you want to cultivate inside of me. No matter how hard it's going to be, no matter uh, how tough it's going to be. Y'all, in ministry is tough, right? Anybody in ministry, raise your hands this morning. I mean, if you're in ministry watching online, right, put a little emoji, hands up. If you're in ministry, right? Ministry's tough, right? Man, I've been hurt in ministry. Seeing people run away from their callings or... People, you know what? It's crazy when you become a pastor. People get offended with all the sorts of crazy things. Like, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. I didn't. You know, it's like we've got to have some tough conversations. But you know what? It's tough, but it's the most rewarding thing that I ever do with my life or have ever done with my life because it lives beyond me. It's eternal, right? Just look at the life of Jesus. Is his ministry going to live on? Yeah, it is. It's living on today forever. Forevermore, everyone's salvation is wrapped up in him in his ministry and what he's done. You know what? And that's how we carry that torch of Jesus Christ that he left us in this place and in our lives so that more people can come to know uh, the Father. See, and so when, when I'm submitted to God, I get to be a part of his kingdom and he gives me power to do things that I can't do myself, right? When I have that choice, I can surrender this this thing to the enemy, and I can call it quits, or I can submit myself to God, and I can be not just come alive, uh, I can be made stronger, uh, and I can do things and accomplish things that I can never do by myself, right? Only by His Spirit. We said last week, you know, it says in the Bible that even greater things that we will do, Jesus said, by His same Spirit. And so I can't do those things by myself, only by Him and through Him, right? Let's look at James 4, 7. It says, therefore, submit. If you're following along in your Bible, underline that word, highlight that word. I know that word submit is not a, like a word that makes me get all warm and fuzzy and cozy on the inside. It doesn't get me all excited, right? Is that just me? Uh, that word submit is not a fun word, right? But it's the key to your spiritual strength, right? Because look at the rest of that. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee you. He will leave. He has to leave. Right? Once you pray the way Jesus prayed, not today, devil, God, not my will, not my flesh, not my wants. God, your ways are higher. I take on your life, uh, the life of Christ, God, in my life, and the enemy has to flee you. The only way we can defeat the devil is by submitting ourselves to God, to his word, to his authority, uh, and to his ways. Amen? So let's look at that next point. So the first thing, that first moment, based on... Uh, what we read this morning, Jesus, he did what we just said. He submitted himself unto God. The second thing uh, that he does through the scriptures, the three moments that we looked at this morning, is he accepts this cup of suffering, this cup of suffering that I'm talking about this morning. So he, he accepts that cup, and then he immediately begins to drink from it. J Judas betrays him. Right, talk about some suffering. One of his disciples that he poured his life into didn't just call him a name and offend him, hurt his feelings. No, he betrayed him. Right? That's, that's real pain. 
That, that's abandonment that Jesus is going through. The disciples abandon him. He's in the garden praying. He tells them before he goes off to pray, I am really in a bad spot. I need y'all to pray for me, right? He, they comes, he comes back and they're all sleeping. Sleeping. And Jesus is going through the spiritual warfare. Peter denies him. We didn't get into that, but y'all know the story. Uh, the crowd rejects him. They, they ask for Barabbas instead of, of Jesus. And the soldiers beat and torture him. He suffered physically, mentally, and emotionally. Hear me. Here's the, here's the good part. The good news of all this pain and abandonment is so that you and I can be healed. So that you and I can know that God loves us. So that you and I can know that there is freedom in Christ. So that we are healed and made whole, right? And here's really the cool thing that the Lord was showing me through what we are talking about and teaching this morning. So Jesus, before he could accept his suffering cup, he had to first submit himself. And so if you are struggling with your suffering cup, it's because you probably forgot to first submit yourself to what God wants to do. Jesus wouldn't have been able to go through what he went through if he didn't first submit himself. Right? So once I become fully submitted, then, somebody say then, then I can accept anything that God wants to do in my life, no matter how painful. Y'all, and Jesus experienced a lot of pain, not just physical pain, in his last 24 hours of life. I believe his, his heart was crushed, but it was, he loves us so much, I can't imagine the weight that was on him, the weight of eternity, the weight of the world, the weight of the sin of man, the weight of the salvation of man, right? So we won't be able to fully accept what God wants to do in our lives until we have submitted our lives to him. Let's look at Isaiah 53, 3 through 7. And so this is, this is Isaiah. He was a prophet, right? A man of God. He wrote this 700 years, we're about to read, 700 years before Jesus actually does this, okay? It says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. He was despised, we did not care, and yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Somebody say, our rebellion, Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. That prophecy was written 700 years before Jesus. Jesus fulfills that prophecy to the word. Each and every part of it is true, described in detail what God would do and what would happen to our Lord and Savior, right? And so one of the biggest parts, as I was reading through this, Jesus went through so much but at that last verse, in verse 7, it says, And as a sheep is silent before its shears, he did not open his 
mouth. One of the biggest parts for you and for me for accepting the role that I play in the kingdom of God, for accepting the cup of suffering that I may have to endure on a daily basis, uh, for me to accept that biggest part that God wants to do in my life, I have to keep my mouth shut. I have to keep my mouth shut. If you're complaining, you're not submitted. If you're complaining and whining, you haven't accepted the truth, so you're definitely not submitted. Because if you're submitted, you will accept the truth that God is doing in your life and saying in your life. Jesus was submitted and he accepted what God was doing in and through him. And he did not say a word. He didn't defend himself even because he knew who he was. Y'all, and if you confess Jesus, people might say some bad things about you. If they haven't yet, just wait. And sometimes we want to get, you know, you don't, you don't know, right? You, you, you know what? Sometimes we just have to zip it and trust God and submit that thing to him uh, and accept sometimes that cup of suffering that God maybe want me to walk through for me to see something even bigger that's really going on that he wants to do. When we accept the truth, trust God and simply just do what he asks, it says more, somebody say more, than anything we can ever say with words. Because just picture this, Jesus didn't say anything as they led him to the cross, right? And he didn't say anything, but his actions are still now speaking louder than any words he would ever have said in that moment from now until eternity. Come on, somebody. So why do I have to be silent when I'm experiencing suffering? Because my actions, how I, what I do and how I respond might speak louder and longer for eternity than anything I'll ever say in that moment. Because if you're like me, if I say something in that moment, I'm probably going to say something that I regret. When I'm mad, when I'm furious, when I'm offended, I generally say things that I wish I didn't say. Even though I say, oh, Holy Spirit, help me, right? Sometimes, sometimes he does, more times than not in Jesus' name, but sometimes I just miss it. And maybe now I've hurt somebody or brought other people into and it just becomes a mess, right? Maybe God knew this. You know, maybe God knew. He's, I'm just going to let my actions and my life and just wait until they see come Easter Sunday of who I am. And my actions will speak from now until eternity. Better than any words, two words to get back at somebody or defend who I am to make me feel better are going to do. Something more powerful. Something more uh, uh, majesty filled, right? That he can do, that he did. So I think we can learn from that. We can apply that to our lives. Sometimes I maybe just need to zip it. Somebody say zip it. Just, oh, y'all sound good. That's what's fun to say. Zip it. Yeah, we're having fun in the house of God this morning. Amen. Let's look at that next point. The last thing that he did, right? He died for us. He didn't just die. Like I said, he laid his life down for us, for the sins of the world. And his death broke the devil's 
power, set us free from the fear of death, and reconciled us to the Father by bringing us by faith back into right standing with God. Right? Bringing us by faith back into right standing with God. And he did all that. Uh, we say that every Sunday, that we're saved by the blood of Jesus. We're saved by the sacrifice that, that God did. But as we really read in detail this morning of the tests and the trials that he walked through before he ultimately paid that price, excuse me, I want you to hear this. God didn't go through all that suffering, all that pain, all that hardship, all that heartache so that you and I can stay bound in our sin. Why would he go through all that for you to remain stuck in your sin, for you to remain stuck in your fear, for you to remain stuck in your shame and you're even stuck in your past? He went through all that so that you could be liberated and set free by his life and what he's done. He didn't go through all that for nothing. He did that so that we, his sons and daughters, could experience the benefit of those blessings that he wants to give us. And if the devil has power in your life, it's only because you continue to give it to him. He is not all that powerful. You know, he's not omnipresent. He is not omniscient like God the Father. Omniscient means to, he, God is everywhere at one place at one time he can be. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He's speaking right now across the country, or not country, country uh, and the world and other countries. He is moving and living and breathing. The devil, maybe you didn't even know this, he can only be at one place at one appointed time. So when you say the devil's getting on me, he's really not getting on you. Now, he has demons, and he has, he has things that he uses to come against your life, but you've probably never met the devil. The rich, the famous, the people that are way up in the world, the evils, evil people, now, they maybe have met the devil. But now, we, we experience spiritual warfare. We experience, like I said, things that come against our life. But pff, if you're sitting struggling with whatever it is you're struggling with, it's not really anything that is coming against the devil, right? So if the devil has power in your life, it's only because you've allowed it to be there. And you can enter into the full potential in Christ. All you have to do is submit and accept who he is, right? And then we're reconciled to him. We're brought back into faith. Um, now he can, he can live and move in through me. Uh, and the kingdom of God flourishes and grows and expands, right? Let's look at Hebrews um, 2, 14 through 15. It says, because God's children are human beings made in flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only by a human, uh, excuse me, for only as a human being could, uh, could he die, and only by dying could he break the power, there it is, only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Y'all know death is from the enemy, not from God. We live in a befallen world, cursed and stained by sin, right? Death is not of God. And the only way we could take the power back from the devil was through Jesus Christ, right? Only by his way could he set free all who have lived their lives to slaves in fear of dying. It's amazing how in Hebrews he uses that word slaves. And isn't it so cool that no longer are you and I slaves, but sons, no longer slaves, but sons and daughters, 
right? There was, there was death, but he brought life. There was fear, but he brought courage, right? There was, there was uh, um, fear and trembling. There was sin. There was everything, and God flipped it completely upside down and backwards. He brought life for you and for me. 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says, For God was in Christ, reconciled the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Uh, and 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the suffering for our sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Christ came so that we could be made right with God. That last point. So based on the... The second day that we're looking at, the three moments that we talked about, we have three decisions to make this morning. Are you submitted to God? Do you believe that by his stripes you are healed and made whole? Have you accepted the sacrifice he made for your sins? Are you submitted to God? That means, do you believe that his ways are higher? Do you trust that he has your, not just has your back, but that you can trust him to lead you into your life, even into those scary places, into those moments of uncomfortability, right, as he stretches us. So do you believe that you're submitted to God, that his ways are higher? Do you believe that you're, by his stripes that you are made healed and made whole? In other words, do you believe that Christ died so that you could have a better life? Do you believe that Christ died so that you could have a better life? And have you accepted the sacrifice made for your sins? Is Jesus your Lord and personal Savior of your life? If the answer is yes to all those questions, y'all, that, that changes the game for us. It really does, right? When I feel like I'm going through suffering or I'm going through something hard, I know that my God's went through it too. And he says that if, if I go through it and it rejects me, it's, it's going to try and chew you up and spit you out too, right? And so there is some comfort in your hard place knowing that your God has been there, done that, and he's also going before you, somebody say before, to prepare a place, to bring you out of that suffering, to bring you to a place, Right? That last scripture I want to give you is John 1.12. It says, But all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. As I read that this week, it stuck out to me. It, it says, But all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So get this. When you believe in him and accept him, he gives. When you believe in him, and you accept him, he gives. That's all you have to do. Isn't it so simple? When you believe in him and accept him, he gives you the things that you need. Right? He can give you the peace in that storm. He can give you fill in the blank. You know what you're going through, right? I hope and pray you're in a good place. You know what? Statistics say that none of us are, though. <laughs> We're all going through stuff. Right? So I want to do something. I want to, uh, everybody close your eyes and, and bow your heads and get into his presence this morning. Sorry I went a little long this morning. I had a lot of scriptures. 
But I just want to pray over us. And so if you're born again, you know the Lord is your Savior. I want you just to worship Him now and, and thank Him for who He is and what He's done in your life and what He's doing. So we get ready to celebrate Easter next week. And I want you also to begin to pray for somebody that you know that's lost out there. Somebody that you know is, you know, they're just, they're not living for God. They're lost. The Bible says that the results of a, an honest prayer of a righteous person has great, wonderful results. And so I really want us as a church to pray for the world and the lost right now. If you're visiting with us right now this morning at our campus or maybe watching online, and, and as I preach this morning, it seemed maybe clear to you that Jesus is not your Lord and Savior. And so if, if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, I want to change that this morning. I want you to have a peace. I want you to, to know that God loves you and that Jesus died for you. And you can change that right now. All it takes, as we just read, all you have to do is believe and accept. And God, he begins to work. He begins to give and begins to move in our lives. And so if you want to make that decision, you want to make that commitment today, right now is your moment. I want you to actually stand up right now wherever you're at. If you're here at our campus and you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, personal Savior this morning, I want you to stand up. If you're watching online, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to stand up right now. If God is speaking to you right now, I want you to do something about that word. Something to take that word and for this day to be memorable where you can look back and say, you know what, when the enemy comes at me, I am saved because that day I stood up for Jesus. He spoke to me. He met with me in a real way. So if that's you, I'm going to give you a few more seconds. Amen. A few more seconds. Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. You know what? I, I don't know if someone's maybe doing this at home right now. Someone could be watching this message a week from now, a month from now, and then make this decision. So I want to just lead us in a prayer. I want all of us to repeat after me. So Heavenly Father, God, I accept your Son. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And I confess with my mouth that He is Lord, that He is Savior, that He is the Messiah of the world. Now, Holy Spirit, Help lead and guide my life from this day forward for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Y'all can give the Lord a hand this morning. Amen. Well, we're so glad y'all came today. Okay. Um, anybody glad you came? Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we love you guys very much. Um, do something for me this week. Y'all get homework going home. Invite somebody to church for next week. Next week is Easter. Okay, so it's going to be awesome. Invite some folks. I'm, I'm imagining this place jam-packed and full for his glory. Amen. Well, we love y'all. Y'all are dismissed. Have a great day in the Lord, okay? Enjoy your Sunday.